Through the death of His Son, we will be loved with the same love that God loves His Son with. The same love that the Father has for the Son is the love that He has for us. But notice also the, the, the unmistakable Trinitarian nature of the passage. We see all, the whole Trinity is here, right? Here is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity in the water. Here is the third person of the Trinity, the, the Spirit, who comes and rests on the Son. Now in verse 11, we read of the first person of the Trinity, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. So it never tells us there who spoke. It doesn't say the Father spoke. But isn't it clear? The voice calls Jesus the Son. He says, you're my Son. So isn't it clear that this is the Father speaking? So here's the first person, the Father, speaking from heaven. The second person of the Trinity, the Son, standing in the water. And the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, coming and resting on the second person, being sent from the first person, being sent from the Father to rest upon the Son. There's the whole Trinity right there. In fact, no other passage of our Bibles more clearly shows us the Trinity than the passages about Jesus' baptism. That is the clearest representation of the Trinity in the Scriptures. Now we know that this word Trinity doesn't show up in our Bibles. It's not a Bible word. Uh, just like some other words, we have lots of words that we use to help us to understand what the Scriptures teach, and the words themselves aren't found in the Scriptures, but that doesn't bother us. The word Trinity is not in the Scriptures, but the, that word helps us to understand how God reveals Himself to us. And so this is the clearest presentation of the work, the activity of the Trinity is right here in the baptismal water. Which, by the way, here's another side note. We see another connection here as the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and is resting on the second person of the Trinity in the water, there's a connection here to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where God's doing His creation work, and then we see the Spirit hovering over the waters. So we see this connection there as well. But here we see all three persons of the Trinity clearly presented to us simultaneously. So this teaches us of the nature of our God. Our God teaches us of Himself. He teaches us to understand Him as a trinity. Three in one, one in three. Once again, Mark's gospel comes to us as something with incredible believability, with credulity. Why? Because nobody could have made that up. If you were a person who were trying to write a story and convince people that this teacher that you knew, that you respected a lot, was really God, you never would have made that up. You never would have said, oh, let me make them a three and one and a one and three. That never would have come from any person trying to fabricate this. The fact that our God presents himself to us as a trinity is yet another proof. This, this is from him. Only he could have revealed himself to us in this way. So it's helpful for us to see here that God is showing us His, His Trinitarian work as Father, Son, and Spirit. This teaches us 
to avoid some of the, the heresies that have sort of arisen up around this, this God that's three and one and one and three. Specifically, this teaches us against the heresy called modalism. Now, modalism is one of those fancy words. You don't need to remember that word. That word doesn't necessarily mean anything, but here's why you need to know it. Modalism was a heresy that, that arose, uh, I guess, about the second century. And what modalism teaches is that the three persons of the Trinity were different modes in which God existed. There's, that's where the name comes from, modalism. And so what that teaches is that God the Father, when He wanted to save His people, became God the Son. And then God the Son, when He wanted to convict and convert His people, became God the Spirit. And so one God acts in three forms or three modes. This blows that out of the water. No pun intended. Because here we see simultaneously, not sequentially, simultaneously, Father is here, Son is here, Spirit is here. They're not three modes of the same God. They are three distinct gods. God doesn't wear a different mask on different days. It is one God who exists simultaneously in three persons. All three persons are in and of themselves fully God. So this heresy of modalism, this, this, this refutes it right here. This also shows up, by the way, in virtually every analogy that you've ever heard tried to explain the Trinity, the analogy of, well, water. There's ice, there's water, there's steam. That's modalism. Or, or any uh, of the other analogies, like a, a man. A man can be a father, a husband, and an uh, employee, right? That's modalism. It's the same person it's the same water that takes on one form, then another form, then a, that's a heresy. That is not how God taught us to think of Him. He doesn't assume different forms. He exists in three persons, though He's one God. And this shows us simultaneously, Father, Son, and Spirit are here in the same event. Okay, so now moving on, let's now finish by taking a look at what is proclaimed. And this voice came from heaven. Here's what the voice says. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The force of that sentence is difficult to put into words. The force of this is difficult to put into words. So Luke uses here a double definite article. That just means that the definite article shows up twice. If we were to translate it literally, what Mark literally wrote is, you are my the son, my the beloved. That's really awkward. Doesn't work in English. But the point is, Mark is trying to forcefully say this just as clear and as, as undiluted and as forceful as he can say it. You are the son. You are my son. You are the beloved one. You are my beloved one. So what, what God is proclaiming here it is something that is so central and so foundational and so important. Three times our New, our New Testament will tell us that God spoke this from heaven. Three times. God spoke these words from heaven. Three times. No less than seven times our New Testament writers inspired by the Spirit to write this down. Seven times in our New Testament we are told God spoke these words from heaven. That says to us, above and beyond anything else, it says to us, this is really important. 
Anything the New Testament repeats seven times, God wants you to get it. So he proclaims from the heavens, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. This statement rivals and probably exceeds any other single sentence that we could find in our New Testaments. This sentence, this proclamation from God, God, this is the declaration, right? Like in your notes here, there's some examples of other declarations of when, for example, Solomon was declared to be king. This is what God is doing. He's making this declaration. John was the heralder, but John was a human. Now God, the infinite God, is declaring, this is my son. This is the beloved one. So this speaks to us, first of all, of a profound love by the Father for the Son. In fact, there, there really are no words that can even begin to describe the nature of the love the Father has for the Son. This is an eternal love. The Father has loved the Son from eternity. There has never been a moment in the history of all existence, there has never been a moment before the foundation of time in which the Father and the Son were not in this relationship of love. This is an eternal, everlasting, never-beginning love. And this is a love that an infinite being feels for another infinite being. An infinite father loving his infinite son without ever beginning, without ever ending, without ever fading, without ever growing, without ever diminishing, just an eternally existing perfect love on the part of a perfect being for his perfect son. This can't be put into words. What, what God is proclaiming from the heavens, you are my son. You are the beloved one. The, the love the father has for the son is the most profound love that exists in all the universe. There is no more profound love. In fact, there's no more profound emotion in all of existence that can even rival the love of the Father for the Son. So what God is proclaiming from the heavens here is something that entirely goes beyond the capacity of human words to even describe. The Jew who would have read this, and Mark, of course, is writing to a Roman audience, but the Jew who read this would have instantly seen so many parallels between these words spoken from heaven. He would have seen instantly a parallel to Genesis 22, in which three times in that passage, Abraham is told, take your son, the one you love, sacrifice they would have thought immediately of Psalm 2 and verse 7 where we read this declaration, I will tell of the decree. And the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
We can read other references there as well. But the point that I'm trying to make is that this is the most profound, most everlasting, the deepest, the strongest, the most indescribable love the universe has ever known. And this is the love of the Father for the Son. And this Father who loves His Son so profoundly is going to kill Him. In just three short years, this Father who loves the Son with a love that all the languages of the world could not come together and describe this love. This father is going to put his son to death. And the reason that this father is going to put his son to death is so that through the death of his son, he will have many sons. Through the death of His Son, we will receive, and this is the most staggering, this is the most staggering truth the New Testament has. This is the most staggering truth the Bible has for us. Through the death of His Son, we will be loved with the same love that God loves His Son with. The same love that the Father has for the Son is the love that He has for us. John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I know of nothing that the New Testament has to say to us that is more profound than that. That the same love the Father has for the Son is the love that God now has for His people because the Father who loved His Son and even thinking of Abraham, asked Abraham to put his beloved son to death, but then spared him of that. That same father did not spare himself from the pain and from the difficulty of putting his son to death. So that through his death and through his resurrection, we too would have the same love as the father has for his son. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.